0: Old Bard podcast about the ins and outs and ups and downs of building a life in Israel with those who have been living in Israel long enough to have perspective. I'm Goel Jasper and my guest today is Dr. Dodi Tobin. Dodi is a Jewish educator who teaches for the Matan Women's Institute of Torah Studies. She grew up in Skokie, Illinois, and then, following her studies and the first five years of her marriage to her husband Mark, they made Aliyah together with three of their four children. The fourth was born in Israel. Dodi was part of the founding team of Nefesh Benefesh, has been teaching Torah for almost 20 years, and as you will hear, is passionate about teaching others about living life authentically. Today, Dodi, Mark, and their family live in Beit Shemesh, and that's where I sat with her earlier this week to return again to her Aliyah story. Before we get to my conversation with Dodi, I want to remind you to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you go to hear Return Again, And feel free to leave a rating and a review. Also, please visit our Facebook page, Return Again Podcast, and our Twitter feed, at Return Again Pod. And of course, tell all your friends who you think might be interested in hearing these amazing and inspiring stories. Okay, here's Dodi Tobin, returning again. Dodi, I've been wanting to speak with you for a long time. I know, it's hard to believe, but I've been wanting to speak with you for, for a long time because... When we first made Aliyah, when the Jaspers first made Aliyah, for some reason I had occasion to have a conversation with you, maybe it was through your role at Nefesh Benefesh or whatever, and you had concerns about the children of people making Aliyah to Anglo neighborhoods and and considering how much English language help was being provided by Nefesh Benefesh and everything. It was like there was to a degree you you had some, some potential concerns. We'll get to that later. Okay. But you're one of the reasons why I even came up with this podcast idea to begin with. Mm-hmm. And I'm not just saying that. So thanks for joining me. Pleasure to be here. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let's start at the beginning. Okay. And when I say let's start at the beginning, I mean the beginning. Yeah. When was the first time the idea or concept of Aliyah even came to you?
1: Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I just want to tell you, this is the Perfect night for this
0: uh, this discussion
1: because tonight is literally our twenty third anniversary, Valia. Well, Mazalto. Thank you very much. So it's really we're very happy about that. Um, I take do you, do, sorry. Yes.
0: Do, do you do anything to recognize it?
1: Um, no. <laughs>
0: Never have. I mean, when not you, you not anything five years? In major.
1: I, I I think it just sort of I don't know. It's busy. No, we're not. You know, when we realize it, it's like, wow, that's really cool, 23 years. But we haven't, I think at the 10-year mark, maybe at the 20-year mark, right. 23, 25, I'm sure we'll, we'll yeah, do something. Yeah, you should. We you will. Should. We will, for sure. Anyway, mazal But mazal. anyway, we're very excited. Um, so, yeah, so I always take my love for Israel back to when I was six years old, um, and my grandparents took me on a trip to Israel. Just me. I was the oldest granddaughter, and they brought me yeah. to Israel. Holla for a three-week trip one week in London, but two weeks in Israel and the reason one of the reasons we came it was in 1972, so I think just the post 67 Excitement in general, right. but also my great-grandfather had made Aliyah um, maybe a year or two before three years before to beta in Yerushalayim and my grandmother it was my uh, my grandmother's father, um, Rav Chaim David Regensburg, he was actually a big uh, Rav in Chicago, the head of the, the yeshiva in Chicago and uh, the base in there and everything. And and he made Aliyah. From
0: Chicago because you say yeshiva. There you go. Instead I had to of say yeshiva. It. I
1: had to say yeshiva, absolutely. <laughs> um, anyway, and then he retired and he came to Yerushalayim and he taught at Heich HaShalom. So they came every year, my grandparents, and at six years old, they told my parents, we're taking Dodi to Israel on a trip. And I remember so much of that trip, it went inside of me. I remember walking down um, Karen Yosef Street. I remember going to the Jerusalem Theater. I remember going to the Kotel. I remember going to the uh, the Arab Shuk, which at the time smelled disgusting. And I, as a six-year-old, you're just scared of all the meat hanging down. Um, I remember visiting cousins. We have. My family is very Tziony. it goes way back. My grandmother, who took me, my grandmother and grandfather, so my grandmother who took me, her first cousin was David Raziel, the head of the Etzel. Her first wow. cousin was Esther Raziel Naor, who was a Chavirat Knesset for many years. I remember vaguely she took us on a trip of a tour of the Knesset because she was a Chavirat Knesset when we came to visit. I didn't know what was going on, but I just remember being in, in the uh, Knesset and her showing us around in mosaics. And again, this was in 1972. That trip, besides the fact that I, was th- I loved my grandparents very much, I had the best time ever. They spoiled me rotten. But I saw <laughs> sights and experienced things and it made its mark. So my family was very Zionist in general. I grew up in Chicago. I went to Zionist schools. Um, I went to Ket Shiva And my parents, every few years, we also took summer family trips to Israel, one in 1970. Let's see, 1977. And then in 1980, we'd stay for five weeks at a time. And then, wow. I, yeah, yeah, they really, my father grew up in, uh, in B'nai Akiva. He came on one of these Zionist boat trips in 1959 with B'nai Akiva to come to Israel for a few weeks. So we had so much tzionut in my family. Um, And then I went to Israel, uh, Machon Gold, in 1983 84. And just, I always loved Israel. Whenever we came, it was something that just penetrated me. I don't know, it was part of me and everything I learned. The Israeli teachers that came to teach in Skokie, Illinois, where I where I grew up and where I studied, they made a tremendous impression on me. And I learned much Hebrew from from their teaching, all the that came um, to Chicago during those years.
0: In in a sense, when you outline it like that, it was a slam dunk that you were going to come here. But let's go back between the age of six and how old were you when you made Aliyah? Um, How old was I?
1: 1998. I was 34 no no 32, younger. 32 ish 32 yeah. <laughs> okay
0: <laughs> so you're 32 when you make aliyah yeah um do you remember points between 6 and 32 yes. where you were saying to yourself yes. I'm, yes I'm doing
1: this i came home from Mahon gold in 1984.
0: this was the seminary you went to Mahon after high gold.
1: school yeah it closed but it, many people mm-hmm. know this seminary it was the girls bmt um i came home And I believe on the way home from the airport or that night at home, I said to my mother, I'm 18, 19 years old, I said, I'm going to make Aliyah. In in a few years, I'm going to make Aliyah. And my mother, and I'm going to tell you what my mother's response was, because Baruch Hashem, she lives in Israel, she made Aliyah, she's here. But at the time, and this was already um, 23 years ago, um, when Aliyah was not as popular as it is now. It was still, people still thought you were a little crazy to do it. My mom, I always say my mom had a cow. She went, not to me. What are you talking about? You don't know what you're talking about. You're going to move to Israel. You're young. You don't know. Da, 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 da. And um, and I basically stopped talking about Aliyah to my family until I was ready to come. Wow. But I knew deep inside that I wanted to make Aliyah. And I was looking to marry somebody who also wanted to make Aliyah. This was
0: always your plan. Always my plan. And I'll tell you why. The same talk.
1: Yes, and I'll tell you why, because I really, really believed in my heart. I wanted to live an authentic Jewish life and I wanted to live the truth. And we lived some very lovely years in in the United States and we lived in Boca Raton, we made Aliyah from Boca Raton. But always, always, I said, this is the Derech HaYashar. There's no, the Torah teaches us to, um, the mitzvah of, of living in Israel. Um, there's nowhere else to be. Like if you're going to, for me, it was if I'm going to be an authentic Jew living in a truthful Jewish life as a, as a Tzioni Jew, then yalla Israel, that's where I'm going. So I looked, and it took it took several years to find my incredible husband, Mark, um, because I wasn't, it, I, I didn't want to settle for someone who didn't really have their sights set on Israel. And so, uh, yeah, And so I did. I I married Mark. We made our plans. We lived in America. We got married in 95, August 95. Our anniversary is coming up as well. (laughs) Um, And we made Aliyah in, um, no, I'm sorry. We got married in August 93.
0: I will not tell him that you forgot your marriage <laughs> date. We
1: just feel so young. We got married in August of 93. We made Aliyah in August of 1998. In those interim years, I was finishing up my PhD in clinical psych. I said, I finished my PhD before we moved. We both agreed. We went on some pilot trips. We had two kids. Um, and then we had a third um, who was a baby. You know, we had three kids in total when we made Aliyah. They were ages three, two, and three months when we made Aliyah. Um, and we just did it. We just had our plan, and and we just did it. So, yes, it was a slam dunk.
0: Um, what was it like for you in high school? Um, did you feel like a fish out of water, or did you like, did you feel comfortable? Were you talking to friends about the idea of Israel someday? No, it was no, totally no Aliyah wrong.
1: wasn't something I discussed in high school. I went to the Idid Crown Academy. I had four great, fun years. Um, it wasn't the Aliyah, the... Making Aliyah became a reality after I spent my year in Israel at seminary.
0: So when what happened during that year?
1: It was just the whole experience of it was just love. Just love.
0: Because because very often people come to Israel for the year after high school and they're sort of I know it sounds kind of silly, but they're sort of insulated from Israeli society. They they live in this little bubble environment uh, so that they're they're not necessarily feeling what it's like to live in Israel. They're just, it's almost like, you know, when we, we uh, a couple of times took our kids back to the States and just did all the fun stuff. Mm-hmm. So they never really got a chance to understand what it means to live in the States. It was just fun stuff. So um, how were you able to really understand during that year what life in Israel would be like?
1: So I have to say that I went to seminary 38 years ago. 38 years ago, nobody flew back for Pesach. Nobody flew back for (laughs) Sukkot. Nobody flew back for anything. We didn't go back to the States for anything. We came. We stayed for a full 9, 10 months. Um, You had to vie for the payphone to speak to your parents once a month. You wrote aerograms. You wrote letters. You sent cassette tapes. So we were. And also I would say that, you know, today people come to Sem and many of the teachers in Sem and Yeshivot are from America, they're young Rebbeim, they're young rabbiniot, they're teachers, dynamic teachers, everything's in English, they're very, you know, very American and so they go from house to house when they go to the teachers' houses for Shabbos, it's an American environment. And that's great because that shows them that they can really, in a sense, they can really live here. But nobody goes back. We were not connected to our parents and we didn't have cell phones, nothing. So um, we had to be immersed in Israeli society much more. We had to be much less um, dependent on our parents for anything, the smallest decisions, where we're going to go, how we're going to change our money, um, what classes we should take. None of this was discussed with our parents. They just got a report. So um, we also went a lot more, I think, to Israeli homes for Shabbat. The people I went to for Shabbat, were my Israeli cousins or my friends Israeli cousins, there weren't the numbers of American Olim here like like there is today or even in the past 10 years or 15 years. So I think in that way we just were much more just living Israeli the Israeli life here you know, and funny, I loved it. It, yeah.
0: it. It's funny because even now, you know, you guys live in Beit Shemesh, I live in Beit Shemesh and and uh, on Fridays, when I go to the uh, the supermarket, our local—it's well, called a supermarket. It's a little silly, yeah. uh, our local market. Yeah. Um, I see guys from um, from Reishit, one of the post high school yeshivot here in Beit Shemesh, and you know they're going in there and they're getting their fruity pebbles and they're getting mm-hmm. their—you know—you name the American product, right. it's available. That's right. Back when you were here, that's right. You also that's had to had to deal with. Israeli toilet paper, which was oh, legendary, yeah. oh, legendary back yes. then, oh, right? Oh, yes, that's all they had. Israeli ketchup, which looked more like strawberry sauce or yeah. something?
1: Yes, <laughs> Like, yes. you had none of that stuff. None of that stuff. None so of you, that So
0: you had no choice but to just sort of take it all in.
1: Yeah, and I loved it, <laughs> and I loved it. I didn't love the toilet paper, but I loved it. In general, the experience, The it, it was, in some ways, it was raw. It was real. Um, I'm not one, I'm not necessarily looking for the easy life I'm looking for the authentic life, um, the meaningful life. And yeah, I just felt like yeah, that's the way to go. There's no other place for a Jew.
0: So your mom, what was the phrase you used? Had a cow? Yeah. Your mom had a cow when you Love came you, back and, and Yes, and, and, yes. And you're she like
1: thanks <laughs> me now, she made Aliyah, she <laughs> thanks me, Odoti. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So I can tell the story. We'll, we'll get we'll get yeah. to
0: we'll get to your family later okay. because uh, that's its own story. Yeah. Um, but uh, she says, you know, sort of like Like heck, you're going to make aliyah and then you go to university, I guess.
1: Yes, like heck, like heck. I think I just want to say it was an emotional response. My parents were extremely Zionistic and they loved Israel, but the idea of me moving at that time, I think, was just emotionally a very hard thing for a lot of parents, not only my parents, for most people, anyway. Yes, so and and sorry, uh,
0: and and you're 18, 19, or whatever. I imagine, I imagine you didn't say. Mom, please sit down. I'd like to. Speak. Oh, no. <laughs> you were oh, no. a teenager. You're like, I just want to say, <laughs> that's a, I just want
1: to let you know. And so, of course. So not the easiest course. thing for a parent to accept. No, 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 no. Anyway, so I went to college. I went to Barnard after Mahon um, Gold for four years to New York. Um, there, I was very active in campus life, Orthodox Jewish life there. Wonderful four years. Um, uh, you know, is anything Israel. I also went or was involved with. You know, very Zionist. It was a wonderful, thriving Jewish community there on Columbia campus. Um, you know, I wasn't actively planning my Aliyah at that time. I think I had known that in the future I will, and that I'll do it when I when I get married. So. Uh, so you really
0: just sort of like put it on the back burner for for your education.
1: Yeah, I did. I did. I put it on the back burner. Yeah. And i guess
0: that's a good thing because it enabled you to experience those four years there to the to its fullest oh, instead of most definitely instead of just like leave me alone with that stuff I, i'm i'm moving right. to israel leave me alone
1: i don't think that i i remember if i think about it, and i i really do think i was very involved in in Orthodox Jewish and, and Zionist campus life. I don't remember a lot of talk amongst my Hevra about Aliyah. It wasn't, but we were very connected to Israel, committed to Israel, went to Washington for any Israel rallies and right. things like that. So it was there, but that wasn't the time that I was planning my Aliyah. That began, you know, once I was dating and, and finding my husband and are you serious about it? And, and then we, we made our plan.
0: So we we can we can talk about Mark for a second. He's okay. probably listening. He's in the other room. I believe he is. Um, yeah. uh, it's one of the one of the reasons I I love speaking with people in their homes. Like, is because I need I need you to feel as comfortable as possible. Right. So, with Mark around the corner, uh. Uh, you can you can say nice things about him. Also, he can listen. For sure. So help me understand. Okay. First date with Mark. Ah. So. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you just ask him straight out. No, it was obvious to me already. How did I know? Um, first of all, it took several months before we actually went out on our first date. But we were both living at that time. I was already in graduate school, and so was Mark. Or he was working. We were living on the West Side. We were living in the pizza. We were living, you know, the uh, you know the, the best place to be single um, in the United States at the time. <laughs> and the two distinctive times that I remember. First, I met him, you know, over a Shabbat meal in my own apartment, where my roommate invited him and his girlfriend over. We met over a Shabbat dinner. But after that, and they broke up, and whatever. <laughs> but after that, um, two things. First of all, Yomatsma Ma'ut Chagiga at Tzerek on the West Side. I remember that we'd always go, and That's it was very late. Yes, very big, big, yes, big single shul, at least at the time then and i remember we like flirted over over <laughs> you know the dance floor he was there he was always at any kind of israel celebration or thing he was there the next time i saw him was yom Rav ravamitah from the gush ala shalom came to speak at keleth jetherin in jershin jershin kj kj Jeshurun. in uh, on the east yeah. side, on the east side right and I went with a friend to go hear him because anything Israel I was drawn, I wanted to go. And I wanted to mark Yom Yerushalayim. And there Mark was. And he, was not, he wasn't even there with the group. He was there by himself. He was there to listen. And I know my husband grew up um, Zionist. He grew up conservative. Um, and, and he was just there. He, because he wanted to be there, and we actually sat down next to him because we had already become sort of friendly. Right. But this was a guy anybody who picked up on the West Side on Yom Yishalayim and went to hear Rav Amital speak in Hebrew at, at the age KJ, of twenty-something. At the age of twenty-something <laughs> is serious about Israel. He's no Zionistic. Question. And then, and sure enough, so when we dated, it was already you know before I checked him out in terms of dating, and I was told by someone who knew him well that yeah, he wants to move to Israel too. So that's great. So that. That got it all started.
0: Okay. And so then you get married and yeah. immediately go to Florida or, or you started uh, we lived in, in New York We
1: lived in Brooklyn for a year and a half. I was finishing up my, I was doing a psychology intern at the time in Borough Park at Maimonides Hospital. So we lived in Flatbush for a year and a half. Um, and then Mark's company moved down to Boca Raton, Florida. So we moved down there um, and we lived there for three and a half years where we had three out of our four kids but already when we were there, and I was going to be finishing up my PhD within those years, we went on two pilot trips during those three and a half years. Left the little babies with my in-laws in New York, um, and planned it all out. And we uh, we decided to go. We left we left Boca Raton in I think it was June of 1998 with three little babies, and. The the wonderful story we have very good friends now who made Aliyah years later to Chashmonaim. Um, Jamie and Jeff Willens, if they're listening, they uh, at the time were living in Boca. They were you know they had been balechuvah and had become religious. We're very close with them, and Jamie describes to me how when we told her we were moving to Israel, and again this is twenty three years ago or twenty it was twenty four years ago when we broke the news to our friends there. We had wonderful Mm -hmm. friends there. And she thought we were out of our minds because they had never really heard of such thing. And right. Boca Raton at the time, the community was not so big. I think we were one hundred sixty families, two hundred families. Rabbi Kenny Brandeau was the rabbi there, very Tziony himself. But here we he were. Also made Aliyah eventually. Right, he just made it in the past few years. <coughs> yeah. um, and right, we're, we're in touch with him. But and you know, the big the big moving truck comes in front of our house, and we told our friends we're moving to Israel and we're living in paradise. I mean, Boca Raton. Was paradise then for me. I loved living in Florida. We lived near um, our four sets of grandparents all lived within a half hour of us. In other wow. words, Mark's grandmother lived in Miami. I had two sets of grandparents, Baruch Hashem, that were living there in in Tamarack, Florida. And Mark's grandparents were living in, um, in Delray. And we got to see our parents, for th- our grandparents for three and a half years. They got to see their their great-grandchildren. And we were picking up. We were leaving. We were just leaving. They were in shock, too, in a sense. They drove us to the airport. My two sets of grandparents in their two big Cadillac cars or whatever it was, <laughs> drove us to the airport to send us off to move to Israel. Um, so anyway, our friends, a lot of them were like, what? Like, they didn't know what hit them. And here we're picking up and we're moving to Israel. But we were, we were just so sure of what we were doing. With three little kids and diapers and everything, we were so sure. Um, and then we went, we spent some time with my parents in Chicago, spent some time with Mark's parents in New York, and then we flew to Israel on, um, I don't know, what's the Hebrew date today is? Uh, right after Tisha B'av. We spent Tisha B'av in Chicago. Right, right. after Tisha B'av we went. August 4th, the, uh, the Loazi date. And my parents actually came on the plane with us. To help us, and I think my mother and father really wanted to see where we were going. It was important to them. Wow. So they came. No nefesh ben in those days. We took oh, the flight. They came on the on the plane with us. They to flew make to Aliyah. Israel. They flew with us to Israel. They've come to Israel. My family right, was right, right. No, sure, sure, but they came. But there was no nefesh ben no, Of course,
0: of course. There of was. Course. We
1: flew on a direct flight at the time. There were direct flights from Chicago to Israel. They came with us. Most many of the people on that flight were um, on a Christian mission. They were the nicest people in the world. We had these three little kids. They (laughs) told my husband when they said, why are you going to, you know, they're schmoozing, Chicagoans, Midwest, everybody's very friendly. And, you know, they were very friendly, non-Jewish people. And they asked Mark what we were doing, where we were going. And Mark told them, we're moving to Israel. Christian uh, missionaries or not Christians going on a mission. And they told Mark, you are a holy man. That's what they told him. You are a holy man. Um, they were they just wowed by the fact that we, but we had, there were no other olim, maybe there was some olim on our flight, but it was, yeah, so my parents helped us, and they really did. We had three little kids that first uh, week or two when you have to go through such, at the time, again, no nefesh benefesh. What this meant was that we had to take our three little kids, two, three days after landing here, and sign our names on the Misrata Panim door to get a number at 5:30 in the morning. And we did mm-hmm. that and we had no friends. We moved to this neighborhood that I now live in, Nofavi Bechemesh. We had no close friends here. We knew some people here and people were very nice, but nobody. I had no family here and Mark had no family here that we could say, can you help us or take our kids or babysit or this or that? We had to do it. And so my parents were helpful when they could be to take the kids off our hands. But we had to go. To Miswara Panim with our three kids, because you have to show up. You have to get the two dolzahut. You have to get all those things. Five thirty in the morning, (laughs) we're go to Jerusalem to Merkazahir, to write your name on a list that's on the door, handwritten and first come first serve and then so that you can now get your number to go into Misra wow. Adepanim to then wait three hours until about 10 o'clock to then be called up with your three little kids that somehow you've had to manage to keep calm and then they call you up to the desk and then they ask for proof of Judaism and then they try to look for your rabbi in the book and they don't find my rabbi in the book Rabbi Harvey well he should live and be well he lives in Elazar. He, um with his wife Vivian, but he was our Masada Kedushin. They're looking for his name, and his name is not showing up in the book. Again, 23 years ago. But yeah. thank God his brother, Rabbi Donniewell showed up in the book, and so they let it go. That was uh, wow. that was it. But And you saw at that time, you saw sometimes people who had sat there for hours leaving in tears because they didn't have this one certain piece of paper. Very, very challenging. Now, for us, with all of that and it was a tough few weeks getting settled we didn't have air conditioning it was hard we had no friends really to depend on my parents were there and then they left and but we were on a high I got to tell you we were on a high because we did it and we were here and we did it and we were just so excited I'm telling you and we moved to a wonderful community that really embraced us no even Betchemish and we had some good friends also in Scheinfeld of Betchemish and but we did it, and we were so happy.
0: Okay, so you just you just went on. You basically told so much, and I want to go back and talk about a couple of these individual pieces. Okay. Your pilot trips. So there's yes. no internet back then.
1: I think there was, but I it mean, was, there was the and World infancy, Wide Web, right? right? There was the World Wide there Web. There were you chat didn't to rooms and things, but you, very you basic. couldn't
0: go. You couldn't go and. <laughs> No and do your research online. No. About. So a pilot trip then
1: Tehillah. was
0: very different from a pilot trip now. Right. I suppose. You went with I don't Tehillah even know people come on pilot trips. They
1: just take a trip. They so, go visit their friends. So they what'd go. you do?
0: You so came actually, here Mark, and did what? Yeah,
1: so wait. So Mark would leave before me, I think I'm trying to remember, we had two. Mark came first. He was looking for work. And also we were deciding where to live. Um, And then I think I met him, like he'd come for one week, he went, Tehillah was the one, was the organization running pilot trips at that time, and they'd take you on a bus, I didn't go with them, Mark would go with the Tehila and then I would come after, I met up with him and we'd go do other things and see things, but he went with Tehillah on a bus to different yeshuvim in different cities, and they showed them all sorts of different things, and And, uh, you know, work opportunities, that was Tihila. So I didn't go on those. And then I met up with him, and then we would go check out different things while while I came, let's say for a week, because we couldn't leave our kids for two full weeks. They were very small. And a year, and so what, if you were interviewing Mark, he remembers these details better than me, but he had some options and work possibilities that started, you know, started thinking about things. Our second pilot trip, which was in... The spring, let's say February, March of 1998, so a few months before we made Aliyah, we came to Israel. I was very pregnant, but we came anyway. And we both got job offers when we came. And I actually got a job offer from Nishmat. Um, Rabbanid Hankin had been visiting Boca a few weeks before, and she stayed at our house. And I made, I made a kesha with her. And so I got a job offer to work at Nishmat, even though I was in psychology, but I really wanted to. That's a whole other discussion f- about my career but you know i love jewish learning and i got a i got a job in ishmat and mark got a job at a high tech company at the time it was a huge high tech boom and we came back from that pilot trip. and where we were going to we also checked out Beit Jemish and decided on it um it was
0: a no-brainer to you guys it wasn't or were a there total no-brainer but in.
1: there we were only looking in a few places places where we had heard about places where we knew somebody places that were equal or easily you can get to Jerusalem or Tel Aviv from right. it because Mark wanted that you know he was going to be working in Jerusalem at the beginning but you know jobs change Mark's Mark was a lawyer and a businessman and he wanted to be near those centers and just the idea of living far from Jerusalem and not being able to go there for us was was hard we wanted to live near Jerusalem so we actually were considering either Beit Shemesh or Efrat and somehow in Efrat we had a wonderful dear friend in Efrat but somehow THE HOUSING OPPORTUNITIES JUST DIDN'T SEEM TO BE AS PLENTIFUL AS HERE AND IN Beit CHEMESH. AND WE ALSO, I MEAN, I WILL SAY THAT OUR FIRST PILOT TRIP WE STAYED WITH SOME FRIENDS IN Scheinfeld WHO LIVED IN AN APARTMENT AND WE HAD BEEN LIVING IN A HOUSE IN BOCA WITH A POOL. NOT A HUGE HOUSE, BUT EVERY HOUSE IN BOCA HAS A POOL AND JUST A HOUSE. And here, you know, it was it I had always imagined that, you know what, when you move to Israel, you're gonna have to live in an apartment. You're gonna have to downsize, you're gonna have to suck it up. No house for you, right? No yeah. house for you. Cause that's how also the years that I spent here beforehand were always in apartments. And there are many, many, many Israelis who live in apartments sure. here and And that's fine. And I was really, really willing to sacrifice Sacrifice and live differently. Um, at so, but once I stayed with friends in an apartment, I'm like, can I really do this? You know, can I do this? And your whole I, life
0: you had spent in houses, like I guess except for your your time in Brooklyn.
1: Yes, I mean, right? growing up, I lived in houses. I lived in right. Skokie, Illinois. We lived in Boca Raton. We had homes. It was homes. And then living in an apartment was just foreign to me because I lived in the suburbs right. my whole life. Um, and can I live in a little apartment? And it took some adjusting. I went back home after that pilot trip. I pulled out the book, Dwell it, To Dwell in the Palace, which was a Great classic book. Aliyah book. And I read through the whole book, and it gave me tremendous chizuk. And, I, and then I said, I think this was our first pilot trip. And then I said, okay, I can do this. But the second pilot trip, we actually found these neighborhoods in Beit Chemish. There was Scheinfeld was now built up with cottages. No Aviv Avivs cottages. Homes, attached homes, but homes much... And we were able to rent one of these homes here, and that that was helpful to me because
0: uh,
1: um, it was just more of what I what I was used to. Um, so where was, where was well, I going with that? It,
0: yeah, and it and it's okay because I, it's funny. Yes. when when we we made our way from Baltimore, okay, and in Baltimore we lived in a pretty large house, not because we were wealthy, but because we had when we first got married we we. Uh, bought a small house in Stamford, Connecticut, and wound up selling it at such a profit that we were able to buy whatever we wanted in Baltimore. So when we knew we were making Aliyah, we immediately sold our house, Mm -hmm. even though we weren't making Aliyah for another year. Mm. So we sold our house and moved into this tiny, tiny rental house, um, thinking, you know, anything we get in Israel is going to be smaller even than this, so we may as well start getting used to to it. 100%. And we wound up moving. To where we had a house that that's was actually right. bigger than... That's right, that's <laughs> we right, were, that's we right, were so, that's right. So the point is you shouldn't have to, especially in this day and age, you shouldn't have to give up on on some of those, uh, we'll call them creature comforts, although oh, yes. it's not really fair, but some of those requirements Yes. so that you can make sure that this thing works.
1: Absolutely, 100%. And I remember I had, Three, I don't know if I'll remember all three, but there were certain requirements that I had to have. I had to have carpeting. We have carpeting, actually, through most of our upstairs. Um, I had to have the carpeting because I had too many memories of freezing in the winters here in Israel <laughs> with that one space heater, staying in a friend's apartment in Yerushalayim and just freezing. I said, no, I have to have carpeting because I grew up with carpeting. Um, so we did. We carpeted one of the floors here. Um, I, had it to, I had to have heating. You know certain basic things, but by that time you could, and people right. did. And my eyes were opened when we saw that these things were here and available, and uh, all the more so now. I, we have it all. We have everything we need. We have everything we need.
0: In, in a previous interview, I, I did. Um, the person I interviewed said that when they first landed here, um, they went to a Merkaz klita. Yeah. And he said, every night. The walls were filled with cockroaches Ooh, uh, every night. Oh, my God. And for, I think, three months they stayed there. <sighs> and so now we look at the situation we have today. And by the way, that was another thing I wanted to touch on where, where OK, yes, we have nefesh nefesh, but let's also be honest. Yeah. The bureaucratic organizations we have in the country now, the bureaucratic entities yes. are also much more efficient than they yes. used to be. Like you go to the you go to the Miswara Panim now, it's highly organized. Yes. It's generally not a bad experience. That's right. And so the country really has come so far.
1: It has. It totally has. I fully agree.
0: Let's talk about your career. Okay. So you you're you're you uh, have a doctorate in clinical psychology. Correct. And yet you're not a clinical psychologist. I am not. So can you talk a little bit about your career? Journey since you made Aliyah.
1: Sure. How much time do you have? Yes, plenty of time. Um, <laughs> yes, I. You know, I'll, I'll start by saying, you know, my choice of going into clinical psychology at the time, I went to Barnard, I studied psychology, um, liberal arts degree. You know, um, I loved always since a childhood. Loved Jewish learning. Loved Torah. Loved Torah learning. But yeah. I always joke that you know, it wasn't necessarily you know, 30, 40 years ago encouraged amongst us young modern Orthodox um, adults to go into Chinuch. Today I think it's it's more popular and you have YU and you have… But at the time it wasn't something that was encouraged, not necessarily in my high school, it was very much a college prep school, not by the community, not by my own family. My mother was a teacher in a day school and she had her own experiences there. Right. So. Being a, a, a teacher in Chinuch was not something that was encouraged. It was more find something, you know, a different profession. Psychology was something that spoke to me. So I studied psychology in Barnard. And then the obvious next step for me was, okay, I'll just go do my doctorate in psychology. But the fact was that my, I, and now it's in hindsight more, because through the years it just came out more and more. I always loved learning. I always loved learning Torah. When I was studying in Barnard, I used to go, my favorite class at Barnard yeah. was Drisha. In other words, I'd go to study at, at uh, from David Silber's Drisha that was on the west side. It was probably one of the first, if not the first, women's learning institutions in the world. Um, and I'd go there once or twice a week and, and learn Shirei Torah, and that filled my heart. So I did do my doctorate, but there was always a niggling feeling that I needed something more spiritual. And it was always there, but it took many years until I finally just said... Zil, I, I, I want to go in that direction. So when we came to Israel, even though I finished my degree and we came right after I finished my degree, pretty much, a, a year later, I, um, I was thrilled to get a job, even if it was only in an administration, at Nishmat, because I wanted to be in that world of women's Torah learning. It excited mm-hmm. me. So I worked in Nishmat administratively. Loved the experience, but always deep inside, niggling at me, I wanted to be on the other side of the desk. I wanted to be teaching, but it was still very primary within me. I went from there. I worked. In, I did um, the um, the Atid Fellowship. I don't know if it still exists, but run by Jeffrey Sachs and Rabbi Ravinder for Jewish educators. And f- through that, I also went to Pardes. I worked there for two years. So Nishmat, two years, then I got you know, antsy, and I moved to something different. Pardes. At that time at atid i also had the opportunity to write some research papers on um aliyah and education um jewish education um
0: can i ask you an unanswerable question okay is it possible that had you stayed in the states for even two years and begun your career in as a psychologist that You wouldn't have gone into Jewish education when you came here, or were you headed in that direction anyway?
1: I think. Listen, hindsight is twenty-twenty. Yeah,
0: that's why I said it's unanswered. I don't
1: think I would have been. I don't think. I don't think I would have stayed in psychology. Already in graduate school, I was itching for the Torah. I was itching for spirituality. I was itching for it. I felt. I didn't feel fully comfortable solely in psychology, unless I used to make this like conditional. I used to say to myself, when I finally determine you know, what job I want to take. I needed to be somehow connected to Torah and spirituality. I didn't know how, I didn't know what. Psychology at the time, my experience in clinical psychology and studying it, spirituality was not yet something that was really brought into it. Today, it is much more popular. I think that spirituality and psychology, there's so much more that you're finding now in the field. But in my training, spirituality was not even, there was nothing, nothing discussed. And I was such a spiritual person. Um, that it was hard for me to be so disconnected from spirituality when, you know, as part of my, uh, working with people, I wanted to be able to also give them some spiritual, uh, you know, inspiration. And I I struggled with that. I struggled with that for years. And that I think is reflected in my career path because I worked at Nishmat. I worked at Pardes. And then, by the way, people always saying to me, what, you have a PhD in psychology and you're not using it? It was almost like this sort of guilt or this jealousy or people saying, how could it have been that you did all that work in your PhD and you're not using it? Uh, that, you know, so I I heard it and it sort of felt like, what's, Keilah, what's wrong with me that I'm not using it? So I actually, after Pardes, after Pardes, I went to Nefesh nefesh.
0: So you do Nefesh nefesh for a couple of years. Yes. So at this point, you're in Israel, six years or so. Yes, yes. And it's like two years, next thing, two years, next thing.
1: And then two years, next thing, which was I opened up a private practice because I Uh, finally, I was ready to move away from the olim and I wanted to give it a shot. And I did, and I had a clinic for about two years, and then I I, had, I think it was 2010 at this point. You're so teaching to
0: informally, teaching Torah informally during this period, or you're like totally away from
1: Not it? even yet, not even yet. I was doing psychology and, you know, going to was getting supervision, doing a private practice.
0: So between Pardes and private practice, the end of the private practice or chapter... Oh, you mean
1: beneficent private practice? No, I mean between... Yeah the end of
0: pardes right and finishing your private practice to your session yeah you're not teaching torah
1: not in any major way right i mean i have a whole story of how i got to teach torah but i did get to a point in my private practice where i was just like it wasn't filling me i wasn't feeling satisfied professionally and i couldn't deny the call in my heart anymore and I've told this story since then. I couldn't deny it anymore. I was I just wasn't happy and all I wanted to do was learn. I learned Torah. I went to Shirim. Yeah. I'd started learning with Raite Shira Smiles who was a major mushbyat in my life and my spiritual life um, enhanced tremendously here in Israel in a way that my Jewish education in America never touched on certain areas of spirituality. it wasn't it was a very solid education in America um, but it wasn't necessarily the most spiritual Jewish education in America. So, um, here that got very ignited by various teachers. I mean, there is nothing like Torah, Israel. there's nothing like learning Torah here in terms of spirituality. So, all that, I, wait, yeah. Hold on again. Yes.
0: Obviously, in terms of like visiting the places where Tanakh took place and all that, yeah. that's easy to understand. Yeah. But that's not, that's not all I'm not talking, talking about. I'm not talking about so, that. So, what are you talking about?
1: Well, so I'll say, I, when I started joining um, Rabbi Shir Smiles Chaburot, which she had several at the time, women learning together around a table, she introduced me to commentaries and texts, chassidut, musar, um, that, you know, I was, I learned a lot in America and in my, in my high school education, my day school education, Rashi, Rambam, the class of commentators, but to then take what you're learning in Torah and to apply it that very sheer, to your your very life was something new for me here that i walked out of every sheer with sheer smiles and my spirituality had been affected by it i'd been affected never had i experienced learning like that in america never at the time i think there's a lot more spirituality going on in jewish learning today in america but then i was i was you know i'm older now i had a jewish education in the 70s and the 80s and they didn't And this is, I can sum it up like this, Um, words like your relationship to God, I don't remember spoken throughout, um, what is it, 12 years of Jewish education, your connection to God, your relationship to God, right? Tefillah ishitz, individual prayer, right? Or somebody is sick, let's all daven for... That kind of a thing was not, we learned, I learned tons, I had a great Jewish education, but going to the soul, going straight to the soul, I don't remember it there. That was ignited here in Israel. And then I found more and more people that could um, enhance my life in that way. And that just, that spoke to me. And then I knew this is what I want to be doing. I want to be inspiring people spiritually, but I had to start somewhere. Um, I don't know how much time you have. I mean, so where would you story. start? So I started, what happened was I finally, I was not happy doing psychology, and I finally, it was around my 40th birthday, I closed my practice down. And I didn't know exactly what I was going to do. And I remember I called it, I'm going into therapy with God. And <laughs> I would, because by that time I learned about talking to God, he's bododuts, prayer that you right. can speak. It's not just what's in the sitter, but you can also just speak to God at any time. These were not things that were nurtured when I was, growing up, it was being nurtured here in Israel by by um, role models. And I remember I took walks in the morning and I would, I would try to talk to God. And I remember just saying, Hashem, I don't know exactly what you have planned for me, but I want to learn Torah. I want to be in the world of Torah. And I don't know what you have planned. And that was it. It was, and I, here and there, I gave informal shiurim here in the community. I loved doing that. I didn't do it very often. I didn't, I wasn't necessarily fully trained to do it, but it was, in my heart and in my neshama and I knew it. And then I got a call from um, Barry, Rabbi Barry Goldfisher. Um, it was that year but later that year, this is, it's, it's an incredible story because I really believe that Hashem was involved in every step of the way with my career and my evolution into who I am today. I remember, I must have shared with his sister-in-law, who who is a good friend of mine here, something about wanting to teach Torah. But it was not something I was doing. It I was going and learning and going to shurim regularly because I loved it. It gave me, you know, it was my it was my life. It was my breath. Um, she must have mentioned it to her brother-in-law who was who had just opened the seminary in Beit and he needed a sub one Sunday morning, and so and it was it really um, a, a wonderful seminary. Under it was at the time under the auspices of NCSY. I think now it's independent for several years, but. Um, and many teachers in Beit Shemesh uh, are from Beit Shemesh who teach there. But it was for more for kids with weaker backgrounds, coming okay. from an NCSY, kind of in public schools and things.
0: Right.
1: And he needed a sub for a morning, I guess the teacher couldn't show up and he picks up the phone. I didn't know him at the time, now I know him, I've known him for years, but he said, Hi, I hear you want to teach Torah, and you know we actually this morning have one slot Open and we need a sub. You have anything you can teach? You want to come in? I happen to have prepared one shear that I had given, I think, over the holidays to a group of of you know like teenagers here in the community, and it was the Salonim Rebbe, the Nitivot Shalom. It was a piece from the Nitivot Shalom which I had fallen in love with since Shira Smiles introduced me to the <laughs> Nitivot Shalom. To this day, it's one of my favorite texts, Hasidic text, spiritual text. It just speaks to me. And I said, as a matter of fact, I do. I have a shear. And I went in, and I just gave the shear. It was the one shear I could pull out of my pocket. (laughs) I wasn't a teacher yet like that at all. But it was successful enough for them to hire me. Um, And that was the beginning. I taught there for a few years, and within those few years, I said to myself, this is not enough. I need a grounding, a real grounding in Torah, in training. And I opened the paper one day and saw Matan was advertising their advanced Tanakh uh, master's program. And I just saw it, and it was the right time, and I said, this is it, now. This was in 2009, I applied, I got accepted. I spent two intensive years learning Tanakh and, and commentary, Parshanut at Matan, at a very high level, four days a week. It was a fellowship program, it was about 14 women learning with some of the best teachers mm-hmm. out there, Dr. Brian Levy and, and uh, Dr. Yael Ziegler, and, um, and others, uh, Rav Mordechai Sabato, etc. At the same time doing a Master's at Bar Ilan, it was a joint program, and I did my Master's in, uh, in Bible at Bar Ilan University and got my Master's degree. Um, and with that I felt much more confident going out and teaching. That was now even more exciting. They, I worked for Nefesh Benefish. Can I talk about that now with Nefesh B'Nefesh? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. That was, so I worked the first two years of Nefesh B'Nefesh's existence. Six, seven people on staff. I was one of them. Rabbi Josh Fass had been living in, in Boca Raton. Um, so we were friendly from there, and he knew I was a psychologist, and I had made Aliyah a few years before him. And I was the one that was going to head up the social services department. I was the social services department for th- those first <laughs> two years. Um, we had a very small staff, but we brought in the first flights of Nefesh Benefits those first two years. Um, and that was exciting to me because it was both psychology and CO It's so like
0: 2002, 2003, 2004 yeah, or something like that?
1: Yeah, something like that. No, no later. I think it was right. two and three or one and two. Um, no, my daughter was born in 2001, so it was like two, three, four. 2002, three, four. Um It was an exciting thing to be part of Nefesh Benefish at the very beginning. Those were hard years also, the, it was, you know, it was just being created and it was bringing these flights in and Miswara Pneem and, um, you know, there was, there was a lot going on. But I worked there for two years
0: and you were able Um, to use your background in psychology
1: I was it was challenging it was challenging because Olim have you know a lot of needs and a lot of support needs and I was one person and we were bringing in flights and it was very much stressed at Nefesh Benefesh that we they wanted us to be very very available to all the Olim and the Olim again this was almost 20 years ago it was 20 years ago so even then it was different than now and there were a lot of needs there were some people who came you know with more financial means, some with less financial means, and it was just, and some had language, some didn't have language. Um, you know, if you want me to talk a little bit about what happened, you know, that relates to how you started this, uh, this discussion about right. what I shared with you, my most powerful memory, I would be speaking to Olim that are not yet here, trying to answer questions, prepare them, and it dawned on me very clearly that a lot of people were clueless. They were clueless about the school system here um, and a lot of other things, understandably so. And I remember, and I don't know if anybody on the original staff of Neftram remember me doing this, but I remember myself doing this, that one day after another call Realizing that, you know, they don't even know what the word Menahel means, which is a principle, and they don't know what it's going to be like. And this, I remember walking into one of the offices of, you know, I don't know, Danny Oberman at the time worked there. One of the top people, Bass, sure. And I just said, guys, that's it. We have to go to America. We have to talk to these people. They don't know what to expect. And how are we supposed to help them do that if we don't prepare them? And they looked at me, and I remember, I don't know, but we have to go to America. At the time, we couldn't do Zoom or anything. We have to go to America, and we have to talk to these people. And in my opinion, that is what got the ball rolling with Nefesh B'Nefesh going and doing their seminars, which they did. And I assume they continue to do. They send people there to talk to different communities. And we did it. When I was there, those were the first um, seminars that we did in different communities. We set it up. People came. Um, we each gave, you know, I gave a presentation from the stance of education and psychology trying to prepare them. So what is a, um, what is a, what is it called? no, I'm the yoetzet. The yoetzet is a very important person, right? right. The the guidance, guidance counselor, counselor in the school, very important. Know who she is. Know who he is. Be in touch with them. Just preparing. It's already a long time ago, but trying to just familiarize them with the educational system, with, um, and just with the culture. You know, I remember saying to them, "You're you're moving to the Middle East. You're not just moving to Israel, but you're also moving to the Middle East, and it's a different culture." And trying to prepare them for the cultural differences of which there are many. Um, one of the things I did, I think, during those years, I had a support group for a short period of time for mothers living in Ramat Bechemesh, New Olim. Right. It, it went up for a few months, but I remember one of I don't know if I should say this, but I guess
0: you... No names.
1: No, forget the name. It's what, <laughs> what one of the most difficult issues for these women were, besides everything. Right. Was the lice. Oh, yeah. Was it, you know, I'm not going to color code it was the lice and their kids go to school and there's lice. And how do they deal with lice? I personally had my own lice experience when my kids were little, too. That freaked me out until you sort of get used to it and you get it. I, I, I shaved my my baby boy. He was two years old. I came home from a trip. Short trip to the States, he was covered in, in lice because I left him with Mark, and Mark didn't know from lice. I shaved his <laughs> head off. I just shaved my child's head off. I had his hair. hair yes. Shaved Let's his hair off. <laughs> shaved his hair because I was just freaking out by the lice. But I remember that was a really big challenge for these mothers, the lice. Um, yeah, I think, I think yeah, because it's a different approach to lice here. It just
0: I, did. I, I think there are people who don't make aliyah because of the lice. Are you serious? Oh, I'm serious. Oh, I God. think... I think there are parents who, you know, listen, we're, we're pretty easygoing. We Jaspers. Okay. Yeah. But, but I know other people who are not so easygoing and the same personality that leads someone to have like specific bedtimes and meal times and, and outfits laid out the night before. And you know, the sort of like, let's call it the, the more obsessive side of organized, let's call it. Okay. I think someone like that, they, they take a look and they say, I, I I don't think I can handle that. Right. Because yeah, the the big thing about lice in Israel and it's funny, I never thought we'd get into a conversation about lice, Neither but it's it relevant. The big thing about lice in Israel is it doesn't matter how good you are at making sure your kids are clean. <laughs> right. Because the next day in school they're doing some dance in Gun yeah. and they're back to back with a, another girl it's who true. whose parents don't care about it. It's true. And there's there's that very that, I understand
1: that in a, in a in an Israeli school, correct me if you know differently. They're not allowed to send a child home because of lice. That's right. You're not allowed to do that.
0: Which is the opposite of the states. That's right. The states <laughs> and the states.
1: If you're a kid that happens, even you're, if you're a, you know, a child of American Olim, you're going to visit Israel and you're going to a camp or you're going into a school, you have to be checked for lice first. If you come from Israel, it's like this sign, mark of Cain or something. You have to be <laughs> checked for lice. So even there, it's like, yeah. But, I, but it, it was a real thing for them, and I get it. I really do get it. I had to struggle with it as well. It, it eventually ends. The lice ends. Your kids become adults, and they don't have lice anymore, and they don't yeah, even, before even before adult. Even before adult, right, in high 12, school, 13 or, or yeah, yeah, Right, right, right. But it's I listen, it's, it's just different. It's just different. Then was the time to, what is my true voice in terms of what I want to teach Torah-wise? Um, I had started during those two years at Matan, I also took over running the SNF, the branch of Matan in Beit Shemesh, which I ran for eight years, bringing Torah learning to the community here in Beit Shemesh at Matan. I did some teaching in that program at the time. In those years also, I got a job at Matan. They opened up a Tanakh teacher training program called Eshkolot. It still exists today. I helped create, together with Rabbanit Shani Terrigan and Dr. Brian Levy, that program. For three years, I was the dean of students of that program. I also ran the Tanakh, the Matan Tanakh Summer Institute every summer for four years. Um, all these things I was able to do administratively. I created them. I worked with, it, it was an incredible experience. I was with you know the greatest teachers out there. <laughs> Um, and it was just fantastic and wonderful and I would travel to the States and when I used to travel to the States I'd have the opportunity to do scholars in residence. Right. That was where I really I loved those trips I loved speaking to American communities there and um, but even then, so if I don't know if you want me to lead into my my cancer now, because that's where this this story takes me at this point. Sure. Sure. I, yeah. I, didn't, what happened I didn't know was a I was, schedule. Yeah. Right. So I was running Eshkolot for three years, but it was get, it was getting more and more challenging. Also, because I also ran the the chapter the the branch here in Beit and at the same time running Eshkolot, it was getting hard, and um, I. I finally decided that I was going to give over the running the branch of Beit Shemesh. I needed to just do one thing. It was too much. I gave it over to someone else. And then I'll just add one little one little piece on sort of a whim, because my son wanted to go. We went to Uman um, in, before Hanukkah in, in, I guess, it was November or December of 2018. My son at the time had wanted to go with friends. They, didn't, they canceled on him. Ima Abba, you want to go to Uman? We went to Uman. Um, as a family trip, my son, one of my daughter who was born here, I have four kids in total, my three right. boys born in the States and my, my daughter who was born here. And we went on a, a davening trip. And we went to Uman and Mezhibush with Balshemtov Shem Tov and, and Berdichev for about four days. It was insane. It was freezing. It was nothing we ever imagined we'd do, but we did it on the spur of the moment. A month later, I got a diagnosis of breast cancer. So even that sort of how did we go to like Daven at the Kfaros of people like uh, Rabbi Nachman and the Baal the Shem Tov. And then there was something about that that was really fantastically timely as Rabbi, as Dr. Brian Oliva ta- said to me, you know, you, you went to the place where Davening really, you went there before. It's like an incredible thing. She made that connection for me. In January of 2019, I got diagnosed with breast cancer, and I basically said I, I, I'm, I stopped working, immediately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I stopped working, because I, I knew that I would yeah, have to go through, to I had another job to do. I had to go through intensive chemo, and, and that was it. Um, and I stopped working, and I needed to stop working. This leads me to. You can ask me questions about about cancer, or I can just sort of jump and say about my teaching now and what the cancer has done, or we well, can I, talk about through cancer. I don't want
0: to. I don't want to ask you questions about cancer. This is not the podcast for that. But I do want to ask you questions about what it's like working within the Israeli health system. Okay. When you're fighting cancer, w- okay. what, what was that like? Given given your paradigm for health, having grown up in the states, yeah. Um, and healthcare. What did you experience here? How
1: was it? I'm going to tell you, let me just, I'm going to finish, round out my career. Go for it. Because I will just say that being diagnosed with cancer has changed my life um, in terms of appreciating life, appreciating the blessings in my life, trying to live every day to the fullest, being very thankful to God for what I have. And it has also given me the courage to to find my true voice in terms of what I want to teach Torah-wise, how I want to teach it who I am, it's just when you're in a situation where your life is now, you know, you have a life-threatening disease, it was like whatever insecurities I had um, about, you know, am I teaching the right thing, or maybe I should be teaching this way, or maybe I should be like this, I should follow the model of this um, big rabbinate, or this or that, who am I in terms of my teaching? This having cancer has now just forced me to really find my own voice and just say you know life is short do what you want to do say it how you want to say it connect to it on a deep level and that I think is what my Torah teaching um, reflects now I've been teaching over the past year at Matan Hasidic insights into Parshat Shavuot. it has been a wonderful journey and experience for me with a good response and I just love teaching the way I teach now I've found my voice but really it's because of my illness that it forced me to just go there and be who I really, really am. And that's, it's a wonderful, very freeing feeling. Without the insecurities of, am I like this, am I like this, are they gonna like me, are they not gonna like me? It's like, forget it, it doesn't matter. You have to be who you are, because life is precious. So that's in my right. teaching, so that's what I do today. Okay, now in terms of cancer in the health system, um, what can I say, it's been quite a journey. I'll just tell you, I'll briefly outline you know, my illness in general, diagnosed with with stage 2 breast cancer in January 2019. And I went through a course of four months of chemo. And then I had surgery and I had radiation. And I went into remission in October of 2019. And then just now, January 2021, I was re-diagnosed with stage 4 breast cancer. So obviously, it hadn't totally gone away, I guess. Um, You know, needless to say, difficult, shocking. We had to deal with with that, and now we're dealing with it on a day-to-day basis. But in general, the healthcare system, I have to be honest, um, it has been a relatively positive experience. I will say this already now, we recently had a second opinion meeting with one of the heads of uh, breast cancer at at Hadassah, and she said the following, and she was, most of my doctors have been Anglo-Olim, by the way, my oncologist, Professor Nathan Churney, world-renowned, Australian, wonderful at Charit I'm now going through, actually, as we speak this week, I'm doing some radiology um, for some pain, radiation for some pain. Dr. Professor Ben Korn, American, went to Shiva Flatbush, is taking care of <laughs> me. Many, many doctors are Anglo. So in that way, as an Anglo a lot, it's been so much easier to just my my primary physician, my family doctor in the Kupat Holim, Doctor uh, Atariyafa lives in Scheinfeld. I think she's originally Canadian. I speak <laughs> English to all my doctors. It makes a big difference. It makes and you my also, nurse. What
0: you also receive information in English. That's also incredible. Um,
1: yes, I receive information in English. <laughs> my oncology n- no nurse No need at to the understand Kupa. nuance. You, That's you, right. You, you and just it. about every important doctor so far has really. Or they've been fully fluent in English, even though my Hebrew is decent. But it just makes a different, a difference. Um, she said the following: She said that the what do you call it, the sal briut, so the health basket here. What you get um, in Israel is one of the most generous in the world, and it's true. We've thousands of dollars. My cancer medications would have costed, have costed, and I've paid next to nothing. I get a PET scan every three months that I know in America many people with cancer have to fight for with their insurance to get a PET scan every three months. It's been just, and she said, and I don't mean to put down America, but, and I'm not going to say who said it, but, you know, compared to that in America, it's like a third world country. I think if you have money, then you can access these things, but if you don't, it's much harder. So that was just the most incredible thing, but I have found it to be so Um, in this country. So that's amazing. My doctors have been good. Um, The care here has been excellent. My Kupat Cholim Maccabi, tremendous in terms of Mm -hmm. cancer care. I have a a Metavachat, what is that, like an intermediary who can make sure that that I have all the papers I need all the time and I just pick up the phone and call her and she does it right away. I have found my Kupat Cholim to be excellent. Um, Uh, I think
0: I think that that uh, people considering Aliyah, I think the Israeli healthcare system is probably one of the best-kept secrets about this country. I think so. People, when people think of of the top considerations when they're moving to Israel, depending on their stage of life, right? You have education for children. Yes. You have community. Right. You have um, uh, occupation. You know, working, money, job, all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, you have. Uh, um, Beit Knesset Synagogue, you know, that as- the religious aspect of community, let's call it. Right. Um, people don't think about health, but it mm-hmm. is one of the most amazing uh, aspects of life in Israel. Mm-hmm. And I think during the whole COVID yes, experience, we yeah. saw it in such a pronounced way. Wow. This country knows its stuff and has, ama- to yes. your point, has amazing talent. Yes. Uh, Both in terms of innovation and in terms of expertise.
1: I agree. I fully agree. Which does not mean that there are not problems and not issues and overcrowding in in hospitals. When I gave birth to my daughter here, I was, you know, I gave birth over Shabbos and I had a bed in the hallway (laughs) because it was so overcrowded. I mean, there are things and there and different hospitals have different, there's a different avirat, different environment in different hospitals. Some are newer, some are older. Jerusalem has a different feel than Tel Aviv. But in general... um, in general what can I say it's it's been a relatively you know as hard as it is to have a cancer people have been there for me in the medical system that's what I feel like
0: right right well thank you, thank <laughs> uh, you. from the heart thank you um, let's talk about something different okay apparently your entire family has made Aliyah Correct. since you guys did so, that is right so 1998 that's right June 1998 that's right. how many of them did you think would follow
1: um, honestly, and I love honestly. all of you my siblings who live here <laughs> and they all do, um, one, we came my sister Marcy and, and my brother-in-law uh, Mitch Wiesel, they live in Alon foot. he's a doctor. They, they had been openly talking about Aliyah for years. Right. We didn't talk about it as much and then we just sort of slipped under there and we did it. We made Aliyah. And I think that was a nice motivator for my sister and brother-in-law and within a year they were here with their kids and that was fantastic. That was fantastic. A few years later, my other sister came, rocking Jeremy Brody and Alon Shvut. And then a few years after that, my brother and sister-in-law, Adam and Cheryl Fishman, came and they live in Modi'in. Cheryl's sister had already made Aliyah. And by the way, parentheses, yeah. the majority of our dear friends from Boca Raton made Aliyah. Really? Many from our Hevra made Aliyah. And we have so many friends here from... And friends from college have since made Aliyah. We were one of the first pretty much the first of most of our friends from America, and they followed. And we have so many dear friends here now. People just followed. Um, So that was my siblings. Once my siblings made Aliyah, and Mark's brother made Aliyah, but that's his family. But my family, once my siblings made Aliyah, that was it. My parents had all their children and grandchildren here. I had four living grandparents still there. Um, And two, my father's parents were more sick, and my mother's parents were still not. They were still in their mid-80s. And my parents decided, and you know, they, um, we were pretty much all they had. My my maternal pa- um, grandparents, and my parents said, that's it. Like, and then they got the bug, and they were not Cioni at all. My grandma Molly and Grandpa Leonard. It's not like they ever thought they lived live in Israel. So they were in the right. mid '80s. They were golfing and bowling <laughs> in Florida, but we were all here, and that was it. And their friends were were dying, getting old. And they basically said, "Okay, we're just going to move to Israel." My parents moved my grandparents in their mid eighty s. They were in the Jerusalem both, you know, in their late <laughs> mid to late eighty s. They made aliyah to Jerusalem, and my parents stayed in the states for another three years because my my dad's parents were still sure. ill, and they also had a big house to clean out and this and that before. But they were coming because we were all here. My grandparents. We had the schlos of before my mother and father moved right near them. We had the schlos of taking care of my grandparents. For three years, until my parents came, the four of us, every one of us had a day of the week really? that we would go and do with them whatever they needed beautiful. visit then. It was beautiful. Then my parents make Aliyah. And we're all here. My grandparents lived here for, I think, 10, 11 years. They died in their mid-90s right. in Israel, surrounded by 22 grandchildren, <laughs> um, twenty-two. Gr- no, I'm sorry, four grandchildren with their spouses, 22 great-grandchildren. 22 wow. great-grandchildren they were surrounded by and they got to know them all and it was just fantastic and my husband's family also his brother made aliyah um, already I think it's I don't know 12 years ago something like 13 years ago and Mark's parents just made aliyah after Pesah so this I, year? this year wow. just after Pesah where so they live family they live in Renana with Mark's brothers in Renana Beautiful. Scott and Jen Tobin really nice yeah so uh, yeah just one by so one. So, dream just, scenario. It is a dream scenario. It's just. For
0: some <laughs> families, it's like the worst nightmare.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mark always jokes. But, you know, but for like you guys. oh great. No, we're we're so close, and our families are so close, and we celebrate together. And I think for wow. my, there's no question that if my family would have stayed in the states, we would have been in different states. We were already. We were in Florida. I had a sister in Chicago, a sister in Philadelphia. I different places. My parents have all of their grandchildren and great grandchildren within a half hour of them. It's a bracha. It's just a bracha. And I've seen it happen with other families too. I know it doesn't happen with every family, um, but it, it can, and it does, and you'd be surprised. You think, like I said, I didn't really expect everybody to come here. Friends, certain friends who made Aliyah, in a million years, you can ask me today to their face, I'll tell you, I never thought you'd be here. But they're here, and they're thriving, and their kids are thriving. Some come for more spiritual reasons or more ideological reasons. Some come for more rational reasons because a sister came but whatever it is and you know sure. but they everybody grows into it and we have just so many friends here now and family it's it's a real bracha. it's a real bracha.
0: one more topic before okay. we get to the rapid fire questions okay. um the issue of children being raised in anglo communities mm.
1: mm-hmm.
0: now you've been here yes. 23 years that's right
1: we saw the whole the whole thing so i'll tell you
0: is it, yeah. uh, is it still concerning the way it was back then? Have things worked out better than you thought?
1: I can speak about my own children, what I saw. Sure. When we first moved here, and you know, there was always talk, oh, if you move to Beit Shemesh, it's like you're not moving to Israel. Right. Right? Because it's totally Anglo-community. And there were, there's some real pros about that, and that is that your klita made much e- easier, and you have friends, and you have support, and you have Kilo. It's like your family. Um, there were many years when my kids were young, where I was concerned about their language development. They talked English a lot to their friends. Um, are they going to become Israelified? Really, for many, many years. And how do we do things to get them more Israeli, right. sending them to khugim, you know, to clubs and after school stuff? Really important was to make sure that our kids went to um, youth group, to Tenuat Noar, either Ezra or B'nai Akiva, both in in Beit Shemesh. That I would say to this day, I believe is a very, very important wow. um, klita um, enhancer for kids. And I've seen in communities where kids don't go to the youth group, and they go for years. They start in fourth grade and they go through, you know, eleventh, and they're madrichim and and all sorts of things. If you're able. To have your child in there, it really shapes them in terms of Israeli culture, Hebrew ideology, all of that in a way that's we right? We've seen it. We've seen it, and I've seen communities or kids in families that they didn't want to go and they weren't made to go. I used to tell parents, bribe your kid to go, (laughs) give them whatever the heck they want, bribe them to go because it's such an important part of their education here, the informal education. All my kids, thank God, went. They went to either Ezra or B'nai Akiva, and they were all Madjuhim, um in B'nai. And, and that, I think, was very important. And then they went to high school. And then they start to not want to be associated or, or related to as Americans anymore. Right. They want to blend in more. I found with all of my kids, and all my kids actually for high school left Beit Shemesh. They went to Beit Shemesh schools, but they all went to schools outside Beit Shemesh, they wanted to broaden their horizons, um, and it was by then, you know, they're fluent in both languages, they say bi- bilingual kids might be less in both languages, but they're also fluent in both languages, so there's <laughs> pros and cons. Sure. Bottom line, my kids Hebrew, Baruch Hashem is fine, they all you know, did high school and they did fine. My boys went to the army. They're in Ishivotes there, or they did Ishivotes there. Now two are married and one is getting, my daughter's getting married this summer. Um, and they speak Hebrew to each other now. That's pretty much all they speak to each other. The ones
0: who are married, married uh, native uh, Israelis? My kids,
1: and so interesting. One married a native Israeli, one son. One married an American who made Aliyah um, after high school. And your daughter? And my daughter is marrying the boy down the block, uh shimmy goldsmith who is totally grew up just like her on the same street that's adorable so it's really really it's cool each one is finding you know what what speaks to them in terms of their spouses and they're all amazing they've married wonderful people Um,
0: so it sounds like you don't at least using your own family as an example you don't have the same level of concern that you used to have about the anglo community experiment
1: no i no no i think most of and i see the kids who they've grown up with they've all become they have americanists American in them and I would say that Latov, in other words, they use right. it for a good thing. Not necessarily a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. It's it's really I don't think anybody, any of my kids or these kids see having that English and having that Anglo background and having grown up in families like this as as a negative. I think most of them now see that it really helps them. It helps them in the work world, helps them in the academic world, it helps them in terms of getting jobs, to have that English, to have an American mindset, you know, long-term planning. I don't know, there's, be, as long as they've also conquered or have become Israeli in their identity, and they, they have, they, Sheiwut Lumi, the army, is there. they're with the best of them out there. They speak fluent Hebrew. They're able to function in both ways. There's something really very special about that. But I do think that as, um, as children, you need to encourage them they shouldn't, you shouldn't necessarily allow them to completely cocoon themselves in an Anglo environment without going out there and uh, and having, um, you know, and, and being with other Israelis. Right. And for some of my kids it took a little longer to get more comfortable and some it took less long. Some were like, I'm done. I'm speaking Hebrew from here on in and I'm finished. <laughs> Each one in their own time, but they're all fully functional in... in in this country and that is a thrill we're very proud of all our kids yeah, brought amazing, in.
0: amazing. Yeah. you've ended the exile for your family yes amazing
1: yes. i hope so yeah. yes
0: okay rapid fire questions you ready yeah okay uh, you can answer in two words or you okay. can pontificate on what it all means in okay. the bigger scheme of things you ready yeah number one for the tobins kedem or israeli grape juice
1: israeli grape juice I like Ketem, but my kids like the Israeli better. I think I have one child who likes Ketem, but I think most of them like the Israeli. Yeah.
0: Heinz or Israeli ketchup?
1: Israeli ketchup. I don't... I'm not a big ketchup person either way. My kids like the Israeli osa much better than Heinz.
0: Interesting. Okay. Uh, The Israeli food you love the most? Not the family. You.
1: Maybe Israeli food I love the most. Yeah. I think maybe shakshuka... Is up there,
0: yeah. Is there an Israeli food you can't stand? Like, how all can the, people like harif this?
1: All the stuff, all the very spicy. You want to stop?
0: You're gonna to have to answer that again.
1: Mark, you Go can't. No, t- no. Yeah, no, no. Good, yeah, it's, it's fine. Um, all the really spicy stuff, I don't like at all. Um, it's just too spicy for me. And you know, um, off the top of my head, that's what that's what comes to mind.
0: The Israeli Hebrew accent. Yeah. Have you tried it? Do you yes. do it? Do you I think try. everyone should do it? What's your take on it?
1: Oh, Halavai. Yeah, I wish everybody would do it, but not everybody can do it. I, I try to do it. I think when I want to, I can put it on. They can still hear that I'm not fully Israeli, but it sort of rolls off a little more. I think it has to do with how people hear language. but But in the end of the day, you know, it's okay. As long as, you know, you can speak Hebrew, that's the most important thing.
0: Right, right any pet peeves about life in Israel oh,
1: the honking on the roads when people just honk you they have no patience and they just honk you um, when people talk very loud and scream at you I think there's less of that now but you know it's just like you just sort of have to get used to that and roll with it um, yeah like uh, you know standing in line and someone says I was here you know they sort of Invisibly saved the place in line <laughs> and then you like cu- you're cutting them. I was here um, We've been doing renovations on our house and we've had a, both Arab and Israeli workers here And they all smoke a lot and drink very very strong coffee like why like why? <laughs> you know um, So things like that I think come to mind and also any kind of when there's rudeness in terms of uh, you know, like um, service industries, that that bothers me. But I do think there's been a lot of improvement in that area in general.
0: I agree, I agree. Um, what brings you to tears in Israel? And I mean, oh. like tears of joy.
1: Oh, tikva every time, really? every time, every time. Standing at a at a tekas at a, an army ceremony for my my boys. They're now all out of the army, but. Every single one and then on top of it all when you you're doing that tech I'm just moved It's like a full-body experience of being so moved (laughs) like you're standing in a moment where Jewish history is Cutting through you you are literally living Jewish history at that moment And then they sing Hatikva at the end and I can't get through I can never get through the song So that makes me (laughs) that makes me cry All kinds of when you go for Yom Yushalayim and the Kotel is full full I'm just moved um, I was today I actually drove from my home I had an appointment in Jerusalem I am still still it doesn't get old that drive from Beit Shemesh to Jerusalem going up and going toward and going through the mountains and welcome to Jerusalem I, every time still I look at the sign that says Jerusalem 20 kilometers I'm like I have the source to drive to Jerusalem whenever I want all of these things just just move me. I, my kids make fun of me that I cry so easily. I will add, Baruch Hashem, three weeks ago we became grandparents for the first oh, time. Oh, wow. Exactly. So that's just a wonderful addition to everything. But weddings, weddings make me cry here. Brissom make me cry. Um, all of it.
0: What's been better than you expected?
1: Spirituality. My spiritual growth here. I never could have predicted Um, just access to to Torah and spiritual Torah and spiritual growth and authenticity and um, that was something I just didn't really expect but it's it's what our life is all about here I really mine my husband's um, better than expected life lifestyle here has much better than expected. We have a beautiful garden that looks out on the Judean hills like I never, I never imagined. And every time I go out there, I'm looking at, at Eretz Yisrael. It just blows me away. Um, those, those are two things that, that immediately come to mind. Um,
0: what do you miss most about uh, the place you came from? Hmm.
1: At, this, at this point, nothing. There were years where I had to wean myself off, you know, having things set from Target or I need this or I need that. And I used to be like, Oh, or arid, arid, extra dry deodorant, <laughs> or whatever. You know, some of those things, Ziploc bags which now they have here. Yep. I have completely weaned myself off off of of all of that. I have everything I need here. I don't I don't miss anything. I'm trying to think if there's anything. Yes, I'll tell you what I miss. Okay, one thing I miss. I miss lakes. Hmm. I grew up in in Chicago. We used to go up to Wisconsin. There are lakes everywhere. Lakes, you go water skiing. There's no like, you know, where you just go to a lake and you go to a beach and you get on a boat and you drive around. You know, we have the Keeneret. It's a huge, huge lake. It's not like those little lakes all over all over America and like Monahula,
0: like Monahula, but you can't go in there you can't, you can't go can't in the do water I yeah, yeah. miss
1: lakes that was Interesting. I miss lakes
0: I don't That's think I'm gonna have anybody else I don't think I'm gonna have anybody else say that
1: maybe not but I really do And <laughs> you can ask my husband I've said that you yeah, know I just yeah. wish there was where you can go and you get a little cottage by the lake
0: right a rowboat exactly
1: right? exactly you had it in every camp in America you had yeah. a lake I miss lakes
0: <laughs> I do. Um, in these 23 years any moments of doubt like maybe we shouldn't have done this never
1: never not at all ever no <laughs> that's okay. a, no um, not a single moment of doubt
0: couple more questions was aliyah a light switch for you or a longer term process of realizing you should be here
1: neither It was neither. It was in, I feel like it was in me, and it just had to be sort of brought to the fore, which again, my year in Israel, I think, started to bring it to the fore. Um, It was a process then from, you know, that statement I made to my mother at age 19 or 18 till we finally got here. But it it was very much planned out and thought out, and I didn't want to schlep it out. I, it was, I mean, I, I'm that per, kind of person, I think, anyway, when I put my mind to something, it's like, okay, let's do it. So we really, really did it. I'm like, we are not going to not make Aliyah. And I'll be honest with you, when I got present, pregnant with my third son, um, you know, and Baruch Hashem, we got pregnant, I didn't realize. But then when I realized that I'm going to be giving birth very soon before our planned Aliyah date, and I remember saying to my husband, just no. And he agreed with me, but... This is not going to delay our, delay our Ali, uh, plans by one day. We're going and sure enough, at six weeks, we left Boca Raton, we left our home. What, he was born within a week, we had a babysitter come while we had to pack, 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 right. and we had a little baby. Six weeks, we were on a plane, we were gone. And at three months, he was. I made out with a three month old. So um, it, was, it was a planned out process, but it wasn't a light switch. It was part of me from when I was young, I think yeah,
0: so. Maybe even from when you were six.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> two more questions. Okay. Uh, this is going to sound kind of simple. I'm not sure how simple it is. Is Aliyah for everyone?
1: Right. It's simple and it's not. Because my knee-jerk reaction is yes. And my not knee-jerk reaction is yes. Um, <laughs> but but there's different two different answers. Um, listen, I really... I really believe that our tradition teaches us that this is where we are meant to be and that living in Galut is not the normal state, the normative state for a Jew, that a Jew um, flourishes and a Jew must flourish in the land of Israel. We are, I, I call living in Israel living in three dimensions, three dimensional Judaism. If you live outside of Israel, it's two dimensional Judaism. America I had a wonderful growing up and a wonderful education and everything that I am and who I am so much of it is because of the values that were nurtured within me um, throughout my life growing up in in the states but there's no kaddusha there galut is not kadush. Um, and and so you're you're just missing something so important the I believe and I, I believe it because our tradition teaches that we are meant to be an orla goim, a light into the nations and we are meant to build a thriving jewish society in Eretz yisrael this is where we grow this is where we do it this is how we are a light a light into the nations by building a thriving society here a society that's not only spiritual but is physical and we see it right the uh um startup nation the medical care the brain power here right we're here now it's not like in galut in galut we have the Dalit amut of halakha where right. so much was focused just on staying alive jewishly so halakha was very much focused on and just staying alive jewishly There you didn't have the luxury of working on or studying and the rough cook talks about this studying emunah and working on your emunah and your spirituality and combining the physical with the spiritual, all of that was very much, we, we had to survive in Galut. But now we're here in this country and 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 you can be here now. See, that's the other piece of it. I, I'll admit, I look at Mark and myself and I say, we did it. Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem, Hashem. But we really, really did it. We just picked up and we did it. And there were times even where it was difficult. Work-wise, we didn't always have you know a lot of money we were in the minus at certain times sure. um you know mark was out of work for a short period of time a, a, a year i didn't know what i was doing there were harder times there were easier times but um but we did it and we always believed that we're going to do it and Hashem's going to be with us here and it's going to be okay and and it has been and so i think and we were, were no different than anybody else we were just another normal you know zionistic idealistic Couple from from the states, and I know there are many people that are afraid to move here. What am I going to do, Paparnasa? and this and that? And those are real concerns. But the opportunities here are, I think, they're here. And you have to believe. You have to have the amuna that you will succeed here. You have to take the risk. Um, and uh, so I even forget what your question was so at which this yes point. Is that?
0: <laughs> Is Aliyah for everyone? Is that the? Is that, that's Aliyah the sec- is that's for the every yes.
1: Jew. This is, so this is what I also say also. And I've gone and I've spoken in America, and I, I don't necessarily hold back about this. Um, anybody who's been raised with the, I would say at least the modern Orthodox Zionist education, should be setting their sights on Israel, if not for themselves, then for their kids. In other words, I understand it's hard for people my age, in their 40s, their 50s, to pick up and go. But when you're sending your kids to college, are you giving them the message go to college, go to Harvard, Barnard, you know, Queens, wherever it is, so that you can gain skills and knowledge and education so that ultimately you can move to Israel and build society in Israel, because this is the future of the Jewish people. This is what we're meant to be doing. This is what I, I feel should be happening in the modern Orthodox Zionist community in America. There should be encouragement of your children. Okay, not you, I get it. It's hard, but I want to see you there because you are the future of the Jewish people. Um, so, yes, I believe that for that group, who knows, there's so many people that don't know and aren't taught. But at minimum, for that community, right. um, and anybody who's been educated like that, yes, Israel needs to be something that you are, if not, your, if you're not coming yourself because you can't, and there are real good reasons also, you have elderly parents, you can't leave them, I get it, but what are you saying to your children and what kind of... Um, example are you for your grandchildren who are still young enough to be able to come here and in parentheses I think we see what's happening in Galutu I think we see what's happening in in the United States it's it's just getting harder and harder to be you know a Zionist Jew there so the writing's on the wall but but be you know that value needs to be given over to generations so that if not you your children your grandchildren will come here. So I think for those people, Aliyah is absolutely. I think Aliyah is for every Jew. Yes, I want every Jew to be here. I want every Jew to be here. And yes, it's hard. It's hard to make Aliyah, but okay. And it's not so hard also because, and I'll be honest with you about this, and we all know about it, there are people who survived the Holocaust and then trekked over mountains and then had to be put in DP camps, and then they came and they fought the War of Independence. And then they survived everything and they raised families beautiful families here and I this is what I said to myself and I can't get on a plane I can't get on a plane and live in a house that might be a little smaller than the house I lived in and I don't have the wide selection of foods that I had in America I can't get on a plane and just come and make my life here that for me was enough when I look at what people did to sacrifice to build this country and I cannot get on a plane a plane <laughs> so this is this is the these are the things that motivated me so yes it's for every Jew but I know that you know unless you're educated unless you have a raised with that value it's much harder it doesn't make sense right it doesn't make sense so right. yes ideologically and in theory yes every Jew but minimum our our modern orthodox uh communities
0: yeah you know I, I once saw an ad for a uh for a, a community that was being developed in the States focused on a, let's call it a, a Torah environment. Okay. It was, mm-hmm, a, you know, mm-hmm. it, in, in New England mm-hmm. and the, the, the tagline for the ad said it doesn't get any better than this.
1: Yes. I think I saw that. Ad.
0: And, and I thought to myself, oh my God. wait a okay. second. So like people in that community, like it's really tough for them to understand yeah but but for the people who are growing up in a community where where israel is it has a central role um, yes it it's a little bit of a more practical discussion let's say yeah last question okay what's your magnet should i explain yes okay um so we all have magnets on our refrigerator or at least theoretical magnets on our refrigerator mm-hmm. um, With clever sayings or whatever, and and, uh, I don't need to know what you have on your refrigerator, but um, I believe we do need to have a sort of like conceptual magnet that no matter what happens, we're here. What's your magnet?
1: My magnet right now where I'm at is live every day to the fullest, live in a state of humility, thankfulness to God, joy, Emunah um, and and love. Hmm. That's my life now.
0: And if you want to live life to its fullest, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, every, all those beautiful words you said, there's, there really is no better place for a Jewish person. Like you said, it's, this is, this is uh, seeing Jews in their natural habitat, right?
1: This is just Jewish life as, as it's meant to yeah. be three di- in three dimensions. Your body, your mind, your soul, your, the air that I breathe every day, the lands that I walk, it is all-encompassing and it is the only place for a Jew to be. It is, it's where you can live your life most authentically as a Jew and where you can grow to be that authentic uh, Jew and person and neshama that you're, that you're meant to be, for sure.
0: Dodi Tobin, thank you very much thank for you. returning pleasure again to uh, to pleasure. your to your Aliyah story yeah, with
1: us. Yeah, yeah, there we go.
0: Okay.